You might have heard the quote that I'm about to share being ascribed to Dr. Seuss, but actually it's most likely a quote that was written by a German poet Ludwig Jakubowski. Nevertheless, the quote puts it well. Don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. And our team here at LifeRing is smiling as we sign off with this final season finale. It's Friday, March 12th, 2022, and today uh, the featured stories will be my lessons learned with this podcast, and unfortunately still the top story of this week of the tragic conflict between two brotherly nations. Welcome to LifeRing, a podcast where week after week, for the most part, we strove to provide you with a well-rounded review of what was going on in the world between Monday and Friday of each episode week. Honestly, my name is Alex, and joining me today for this season finale is my friend, I brother think in Christ, first and first of all, I'm excited of about the break. I, I really want to break. Good to see you, brother. It's I'll good tell to be you here. that. A little emotional right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I don't know about the emotional what. Like, h- how do you feel about, you know, coming to an end of this season? Yeah, I'm just uncertain about how it's going to be in the future, so. But also, I feel like uh, we've done a better job this season than before, which means we've learned something, we've practiced something. Oh, we're used to, I've done yeah. talk shows if we were, at the radio station. Yeah, I, I feel like if we were more open to years. like a more mm-hmm. malleable scripts, format show up, mm-hmm. and from there's the beginning, no way to fix that because maybe we would have arrived straight on air sooner. But Do you remember so initially, and, and I was driving fact, actually non-editing, uh, the only editing command initially we wanted to do, I wanted to have a chance to fix some things. But usually we would fix only like noise issues or, I don't know, a dropped call at most. So I was ready to go in, like, you know, you do all the prep ahead of time, and then you just record it, clean cut. You know, if you mess up, you mess up along the way. But then as we started doing this, we, we just kind of spent a lot of time. And then from then on, it was a culture, a culture of editing rather than doing live. I think if we did it live, we would, we would have saved some time, and maybe that's an idea for next season, if we come to that. If there is a season. Stay tuned. Yeah, so if you've heard last week's episode, then you're most likely not surprised to know that this is the last episode of this season. So if the world doesn't fall I mean, with apart how much in the near future, from season one we have season strength, two, vision, and resources lined up, season three will be we'll even be more radical. most likely back at some point, so stay tuned. Watch out for the next announcement, uh, which will come through this podcast. Might be even a short little audio announcing whether we continue or not. I think I think we'll let people know if we're... For sure not restarting this. But for now, we're looking forward to third season somewhere there on the horizon. And if we don't come back, then just know that we enjoyed most of the process, loved the opportunity to offer this weekly commentary. We grew as a result of uh, doing the podcast, learned some things along the way, and uh, we were blessed to hear from you. So thank you for being there. God bless you. And let's get to our uh, featured story. Well, I figured I'd shared with you my thoughts about this podcast you know the news the current events our commentary the world as it is and i spent some time reflecting on what this podcast was for us what or i guess for me what i learned along the way well first off this season was an improvement i think in in a, for us in a few areas agreed and and, and uh, one of one of the improvements which i'm proud of is that the podcast was released every sunday at 8 a.m uh, by every i mean every sunday that we recorded 
So every Saturday and Friday mm. that we recorded, it was always released at 8 a.m. Um, actually, except for... Except for the last one. But if you go back and check, it actually says 8 a.m. Yeah, that was more of like a technical. It was a technical issue, yeah. The yeah. file was there, but it was, I don't know, something went with the file. I had to re-upload the file, and it still showed at 8 a.m. Now, that's a change. That was an improvement from last year where podcasts could have come out like in the middle of the week. Just because I wouldn't get to it or, you know, it took us too long to edit or whatnot. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that could also be, I agree on the editing comment. I think because it was a lot more dense um, and we've kind of changed like, it changed it to be more free-flowing. And that's been a big improvement, at least in the editing part. Mm-hmm. But anyways, we've improved in some areas. So, um, and I can understand how people can do this as a job, but doing this as a hobby it can get heavy over time. Um, again, if this was our, even if this was a part-time job, we could probably continue this on, no problem. But um, going with the life ring analogy, the whole idea was to throw a life ring and, well, being a life, what is it called, a lifeguard, um, you can only carry so much load. You can't be saving people every week. So we, we try to do our best and, and eventually it gets a little too heavy and you got to take breaks. So. I guess we'll spend this first segment sort of talking about uh, what, I guess, lessons we learned. For example, what do you, with you, what what are you taking away from this season? I think a lot of personal growth. Um, well, I find myself ranting a lot more, <laughs> like, in, in personal conversations and stuff, just because I'm used to, um, I'm not used to, like, breaking off the thought. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of just like, well, waiting for someone to step in. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's cool. Just uh, all the stuff that you learn um, and that it gets kind of logged in your mind and then you can kind of rearrange it and mm-hmm. and, and present it, I guess, uh, in a better way. And obviously, the more you do it, the, the more efficient it gets. Um, so for me, a lot of it is kind of that where I just know a lot of random things now <laughs> about, you know, any story I've had to research is, adds a little bit. So here are three things that I learned uh, doing this podcast. Number one is that there's hardly ever a right or single correct or true perspective on a story. Uh, because as long as we're humans, uh, or as long as there are humans involved, there will always be a level of subjectiveness. There are nuances that make each story so complex, and most of the time there is a hidden agenda. But along with that, you learn that it's not my job, it's not Vadim's job, or you know our podcast job to uncover the hidden agendas. Because we'll never know the answers to all of the whys. Second thing that I think I learned for myself is that as a Christian, it's important to view the current events as the church in the first century did. Uh, when we read the first uh, or second letter you know, uh, of Peter, what you find is that he's not saying, I don't know, rebel against the government that's cracking down on you or you know, take arms and, and go fight for your freedoms. Instead, what he says is, hey, the time is coming. Keep in mind your hope and future lays uh, in heaven. So live your lives accordingly. Live like like you are the Christians, you know, shining in this world. And and go through the fire of persecution because on the other end, you're going to come out refined, better, better able to serve the people around you. And I think that that's an important thing to have. Basically, not to get too attached to the comforts, not to let the level of this life that we're experiencing right now become the sole purpose of our life. Now, that doesn't mean we don't fight for good life. It just means having an eternal perspective on every issue. And that probably flows out of a solid sense of identity in Christ, that we are the new creation, 
always thinking that, that you know there's a spiritual side to every conflict every situation and that in the end Jesus is our king he is on the throne and he's in control and the third thing that I carry away uh, for myself and you know after reviewing these news for for almost a year and current events is that it's important to know the difference between the quote-unquote political party view and a Christian view there is a difference between what Republicans and political conservatives think and versus what we see in the Bible and more importantly what you ought to believe and that also means finding the balance between civic duty political activism and our life on this earth and all of that through the prism of Christian worldview and when I say Christian worldview that's not something that we just naturally attain have that is something that we have to work towards too and maybe for you a Christian worldview hasn't been defined yet we had a, a I guess a privilege through this podcast to explore that to really question some of the areas how do Christians view you know for, from ethics perspective or from from theological perspective certain issues and that's where I personally got enriched from you know just being able to analyze things and really ask myself as Christians as a church how should we view this question so here's where I'm leaving this at I love the experience of being aware of what's going on throughout the week I loved spending mornings and evenings with Vadim and other guests uh, chatting about the events and genuinely being enriched by the perspectives and the insights. I loved hearing from some of you, the feedback, the corrections, the suggestions, although I guess not, not as much as I hoped, meaning I didn't hear from you as much as I hoped. But um, I also loved seeing the format and style of the show shape over time as uh, I guess it was responding to the pressure and demands here within the show. And uh, love being part of this project. So with that, I say farewell to the finale of this season. All right, welcome to Lightning Round, where we get to take a look at the stories, at the last uh, stories that we have prepared for you for this season, the stories of this past week. Uh, some of them are going to be interesting, other, other not so much, um, because a lot of the attention has been taken away by the war in Ukraine. And um, as a result, I guess, because of the war in Ukraine, you could dismiss a lot of the other problems at home now and, and so on. So let's look at some of those news. Uh, and we will begin with the situation that is unfolding uh, in Europe. Mm-hmm. So here, here's, here's, I guess, what's at the top of the list is that YouTube uh, blocks global access to Russian state-funded media channels. And earlier, I guess, when I was showing you the video of the, who was he, Major General, whoever he was, I forgot now, the representative yeah, of the Ministry of Defense guy. But the idea is that we couldn't watch the video. It says not available in your country. Mm-hmm. I guess what should be stated is that it's not available in any country. Except Russia. I don't know. We can't really. Is there a Russian VPN? We probably should try a Russian VPN later. Yeah, it, it's weird because it's almost like a, like they're trying to categorize, like, so that people can watch stuff that's consistent with their like mainstream narrative. And I would, I feel like that's not a good move. Like people should be able to see how different the Russian narrative is. And then, especially if they're allowed to think for themselves that because now it's like, Oh, we actually don't know what the Russian media is saying. Yeah, I I would agree with you. And I I believe you can still watch the channel. So for example, from the very beginning, by the way, I, I, you probably heard me mention this. Whenever such an event happens, and I know you guys heard this as well, but hear me out again because it's so cool to talk about this. Uh, I do usually put up multiple screens of uh, multiple channels, right? And one of them is Rossiya24, 
their, their main channel. And it was very useful to see what they're showing versus what the rest of the world did. So I don't know if it's a good, especially, you know, remember uh, January 6th, my wife was showing me this yesterday. Uh, Trump was banned until I think 2024 or something like that from Twitter for mm-hmm. inciting violence. And yet now you have a ton of videos out there of actual violence and what do you call it? Threats of violence towards Russia and Russian soldiers mm-hmm. and both Facebook and Twitter and all the tech media tech companies took a stand where they're like for a while allowing that, which I find to be a very ironic thing. Well, they're almost, yeah, almost like condoning it. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's probably because the world at large sort of jumped on this boat of like, yes, what's happening in Ukraine is is wrong. Again, that's not to say it's not. It's just that all of a sudden that became okay versus like when it was happening in the country of where the tech media companies are from, uh, it wasn't okay. I don't know. Uh, let's see, what else is worth <laughs> mentioning this uh, Ukrainian-Russian news is, um, well... Coinbase blocks 25,000 crypto wallets linked to Russian users. I think that's pretty scary because uh, the next kind of conflict shows up. I mean, who gave him the right to decide that? Yeah, that's the thing is like we look at this stuff where um, there's so much power in within, you know, whoever controls this sort of thing. And as we move towards a cashless society or, you know, for example, the Twitter blocking where you know, right now there's this consensus of, you know, sympathy towards Ukraine. What if that changes? It's nice when it's on your side, but then when it's not. And I'm all up for sanctions and, you know, like putting economic pressure or putting pressure on the economy of Russia right now and really driving the point home and doing much more. I'm up for all of that. But I'm wondering if this is almost like uh, looting happening, right? We're talking like, okay, let's go find Russian assets and sort of whoever controls them can kind of just keep them for themselves right now. Mm. Right. And I know they, they, uh, what did they do? They blocked. So maybe it's frozen for the time mm. being, but then again, what prevents them from just confiscating them? And I don't know, nobody's going to really file a petition to get them back. Mm-hmm. They're not getting it anytime soon. So I, I hope that it's just not another form of uh, polite looting. All right. Moving on to the story that was <laughs> the top story. Uh, for the past two and a half years or so before the war broke out and all of a sudden it's gone sort of to you know um, yeah very quietly wrapping up yeah so apparently um u.s uh is dropping their mask mandates all over the place however according to wall street journal uh the u.s uh decided to extend travel mask mandate basically your buses airplanes anything to do with public transportation uh by one month until April 18th. They want to get a little more time, I guess, to revise the framework based on the most latest science. Ridiculous. Even, like, you can still wear a mask even if there's no mandate. I don't know if people realize that. And it's interesting. I actually find that, I find that right now in the stores, people wear masks more than they, than uh, a month ago. Maybe it's just, maybe less people are going to the stores right now. <laughs> that could be the thing with the wall inflations and everything. But, I, I just, I, I don't know. Really? Yeah. Oh. I think in our state, it ends in about a few days. Am I right? Or it, was was supposed, it? it was supposed to end on the 21st, and then in a, in a great move of whatever benefactorness, 
benevolent uh, Jay Inslee. Yeah, in, in his graciousness, he he took it back like nine days. So it's supposed to end on the twelfth, which is uh, Saturday. Yeah, because well, no, in three minutes, yeah, it'll be today. Minutes. There you go. That's the last of the masks. We made it until the next. Yeah. Day. Wait, so I can take this Wait, thing off. So. so. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Nope, you got to record it. Nope. <laughs> Three more minutes. Uh, we're not six feet apart, remember? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're laughing about this. Apparently in Hong Kong, uh, it's not a laughing matter. Recently, they had a surge in COVID to the point where they stopped giving out the bracelets, the <laughs> tracking bracelets. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So they had 29,000 cases in Hong Kong. And I guess that was so much to where the system was overloaded and they just decided to... So, so they're just now getting Omicron, or is that is that what's happening? I don't know if the if they named the variant. I would assume there would be something new. Oh, they're calling they're calling it a hmm, Omicron subvariant known as BA.2. Hmm. It yeah. looks like since the time when they imposed the national security line twenty twenty, uh, according to according to Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, that law gave it broad new powers to punish critics and silence dissent- dissenters and could fundamentally alter life for Hong Kongers. Hong Kongers. That's harder to pronounce than Chinese words. Oh. Yeah. So they were what? They were. Before the British government handed over Hong Kong in 1997, China agreed to allow the region considerable political autonomy for 50 years under the framework known as One Country, Two Systems. Mm. So in 97, they agreed to the 50 years. And then in recent years, Beijing has cut down on I thought in, in 97, they renewed it. Was that what it to was? To do another 50 years, I think. Oh, before they handed it in 97, they agreed. I see. So that's when it expired? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, anyways, there wasn't much news on Hong Kong recently. Again, not that there weren't news. It's just that they weren't at the top of the mm-hmm. news headlines. There you go. I'm not suicidal, says Jesse Smollett. So Jesse Smollett has been sentenced, uh, according to the Chicago Tribune, to five months behind bars uh, in Cook County Jail. So uh, he also has 30 months of probation and has to pay uh, $130,000 in restitution. Apparently he paid $3,500 to the guys so that they would carry out this fake attack. Apparently because he was upset that a threatening letter sent to the Empire Studio had not been taken more seriously. Yeah. He was allegedly a victim of a hate crime. Attacked by two men who shouted racist homophobic slurs, put a makeshift noose around his neck, then poured bleach on him. Turns out he paid for them to do it, and now he's got sentenced. <laughs> it's a high price to pay for some attention. Enrique Tario, the leader of uh, Proud Boys, according to CNN, has been charged with conspiracy in the U.S. Capitol attack on January 6, 2021. That's what the Justice Department announced on Tuesday. Yeah, so this was because he was like raising funds to, to I guess, sponsor people that were there and then making, quote-unquote, equipment purchases. They went out as far as saying that the defendants, direct, well, him and a few other people, directed, mobilized, and led members of the crowd onto the Capitol grounds and into the Capitol, leading to dismantling of metal barricades, uh, destruction of property, assaults on law enforcement. That's what the 
department said in the statement. Anyways, I'm just surprised that this story is still, you know, going on. But uh, uh, so here's an article from the Washington Post that talks about. Uh, I guess maybe is there a specific Telegram channel or maybe several of them? Uh, Telegram's an app where you can share photos and videos and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know they're they're posting pictures and videos of of dead Russian soldiers, um, and so there's some people claiming that this violates Geneva Conventions. Um, which is there's rules against uh, well I guess for defending uh, defending soldiers from public curiosity and and ridicule and things like that. And it's interesting because on YouTube uh, apparently uh, this article that's you know they're obviously showing you the videos or at least screenshots, but they covered the faces. I guess yeah. if you're writing an article on this, yeah, you you probably, you, you want to do your part, but they're freely available online all over the place. Uh, at this point, probably, I know from both Ukrainian and Russian side, most people have seen these faces, like all of them. They've become very familiar because not only that, they also were, I don't know if you've seen, they do, um, they sit them in a, for, for a press conference. There you go. But by the oh, way, yeah. so that's I, the other part. I watched that. There was like a yeah. nine minute long speech by that guy. Yep. Yeah. But they're willing to do it as well. And not just willing, I guess you could, you could force someone to do it, but they they feel that it's important for them to speak up. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah, uh, they're, they're they're not forced. And again, these these actually might be because of what they are admitting. They might be the best of what of the Russian soldiers who are committing the crimes right now. They're sort of. I mean, yeah, okay. they have the most likelihood of of making a difference, I guess, in the people that hear it. Right. Um. And yeah, I I see this as kind of like a, <laughs> like straining the gnats and swallowing the camel, where it's like, yeah. well, Putin can kind of do whatever he wants, and then the international community yeah. is. Let's talk about Geneva Convention, <laughs> and that's yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what what is a violation of Geneva Conventions at this point? Where how about bombing? Um, uh, Maternity yeah, hospitals. Maternity hospitals, yeah. Yeah. Or or hospitals for that matter, or you know, children. Yeah. So in those cases, you know, international community standards go out the window, but when it's yeah. telegram, it's like, ooh. <laughs> what a unique article. Yeah. So here's an interesting story, and this is according to The Guardian. Um I'm gonna read quote. Disney had been accused of cutting LGBT LGBTQ plus content from Disney from films of Pixar, the animation giant, and Disney's subsidiary during the editing process. So the letter from employees who got upset said that uh, the Disney's executives have been barring moments of gay affection from films before they are released. So now they got together and they said, hey, you weren't essentially giving us a chance because you've been taking out every single moment of overtly gay affection uh, from the, you know, the scenes that they would put them in and they're like this could have furthered the cause of uh, you know like the the quote unquote don't say gay bill which really means don't teach our kids early on don't confuse our kids early on about who they are and who do you want them to be yeah i mean it's i think it's about people that can't seem to differentiate between like what is uh, what is representing somebody uh, in a way that's what what is informing uh, about a certain community based on the actual portion of society that it represents versus what's being uh, like suggested 
uh, yeah, the difference between informing and suggesting a certain lifestyle. It's it's just interesting to see that I guess Disney still considers its audience, and probably realizes that it's not that it's it's, it's wide audience, including conservatives, including people who don't share the same values, and so they're probably taking a safer stand, which is surprising because it has been accused of just being discreetly and and uh, what what's the Illuminati thing. Uh, subliminal messaging. Yes, yeah, subliminal and all of that stuff, right? So, I, very interesting. And now, can, can we talk about CD sales just briefly? I don't know why, but apparently CD sales grew for the first time since 2004. So, well, I, I mean, haven't been buying CDs. They're ca- they're catching up with the with like records like turned into a hipster yeah. thing. And now it's like people ironically maybe carrying CD like players around. Retro tech, yeah. yeah. Although they they skipped cassettes for some reason, I I think cassettes would be more appealing. They're also bulkier to store. Yeah, and they're easier to damage. Another piece of news which was kind of interesting is uh, Nintendo decided to suspend, um, or I guess uh, hold its delay its release of Advance Wars reboot, citing the recent world events. It's a military tactics game that was supposed to be released on April eighth. Well, in light of uh, recent world events, they went on to say, we have made the decision to delay Advanced Wars 1 plus 2 Reboot Camp, which was originally scheduled. Please stay tuned for updates. I guess they're feeling the room, reading the room. Or or maybe they were just really um, having a hard time finishing the game on time, and they're like, oh, there's a reason. <laughs> I mean, it, we kind of didn't mention it in the beginning, but we, we talked before recording this this uh, segment about the idea of um, how everybody's using right now, including our government, is using the inflation now, you know, as a, oh, it's Russia who's raising the prices while mm. they were been rising throughout the whole time. This whole war became a scapegoat for everybody and anybody. I, w- I wouldn't say a scapegoat so much as like stuff that they were intending to do the whole time and now it's like a useful crisis. So it's... Now they have an excuse to do it. Uh, so, speaking of climate change, let's talk about Apple. That wasn't a very good segue, but um, yeah, Apple uh, came up with a bunch of new, <laughs> new and improved products, which are you know your iPhone with the next letter or number to it, your um, another s- display screen that's like thousand five hundred just for the display. Um, it works the same as the previous year's one, except it's 12% better. Um, nice. Like, I don't think there was much new. I actually haven't watched the whole thing. But looking at, like, what it is, is it's, um, yeah, it's just upgrades. It's just slight upgrades. There used to be a time when, I guess, you would have, like, something innovative, like a new Apple Watch, or, you know, that, that would be, like, Apple Watch by itself would be an innovative thing, or... Do they still do the Steve Jobs style, like, I don't know what to call them, like those presentations in front of a live audience? Like, I don't see, I don't really see anything here that would merit that. So done with Apple. Volkswagen has survived the microbus with the ID Buzz, which is based off of, um, like the, like the, what's it called? The W2 or Type 2. Like the classic Volkswagen mm-hmm. rounded bus. The iconic one. Yeah, except it's all electric, uh, and they're going to start bringing it here in 2024, I think. 
And briefly, I guess we should mention that Google did acquire cybersecurity firm Mendiant for $5.4 billion. Now, uh, don't know what Mendiant is. What I think is interesting is that Google is acquiring a cybersecurity firm. And I think we're over... I mentioned this at the very beginning. I think one of the first episodes in first season that cybersecurity will be a, a huge concern uh, going forward. And I think we're overdue in terms of like having a good cybersecurity strategy. I don't think we really have anything in place. It's sort of like something we... Kind of like nuclear crisis. We don't really have a way of dealing with it. When it happens, it will happen. It will be bad. It will be horrible. Same with cybersecurity, I feel. Oh, yeah. You get... We're seeing right now with Russia, like if you get on anonymous is bad side, I mean, yeah, I don't know if they're power to wield. Yeah, I don't know if they're making. I don't know if the effects are catastrophic, but they're they're definitely like effective at trolling. Like you've seen the EV charging stations or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen that they've hacked the the streaming the streaming platforms. Mm. So I don't IVI for example. I think one of those platforms, kind of equivalent of what you would have here is what is it Amazon Stick. Or the Google Chromecast, or one of those mm. proprietary streaming devices, and oh, like a Roku. Roku, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I went for like the lesser known. <laughs> or like the yeah, Roku. Yeah. Anyway, so cybersecurity. If they're investing in cybersecurity, that that kind of shows you the direction of. So I'm I'm still interested to do cybersecurity since I didn't really have like a, um, an official bachelor's degree. Um, Besides the theology one from a Russian education thingy, I think it'd be cool if you if you already have a solid Separate. solid base in, I guess, computer science. But of course, it's worth it. Well, because for me and for you, it's worth it. Well, because like I guess specifically, like finding a job would be like it would be hard to develop skills in preparation for a certain job versus like i'm just going to learn everything i can and then hope i can be useful mm. in this position um just because I, I don't think a lot of the positions that will exist are necessarily established yet it's almost like you'd have to begin with managing a network yeah uh well it seems like a lot of stuff is like white hat hacking or whatever um where basically somebody hires you on it's like hey try to find bugs in our system so mm -hmm. um so, I mean, there's that, but you still need, I mean, you can't just, I don't know. And finally, in the world of space, um, this is the last space story for this. <laughs> this is the last space story you'll hear uh, today. Oh, we can talk about the um, Russia threatening to, like, abandon the American yes. guy at the ISS. Yep, how the conflict, uh, w which was usually or, or typically a very neutral kind of place. Space used to be always, I mean, Soyuz. Right, like means unity. Uh, the whole idea was always that, that that's the only place where people cooperate all the time, regardless of the what's happening down below on Earth. And uh, yeah, they were threatening each other. <laughs> At least the two astronauts were having a Twitter fight. This is what I was reading. Well, I thought I thought it was more like the people that are coming to take the. Um, they're sending like a Russian rocket to ferry them back, basically. And the American guy was supposed to come with them. And they're like, oh, well, maybe we won't take you. <laughs> and so, yeah. Well, this is um, this story that I was going to share is a little more positive in the sense that, well, actually, I don't know how positive it is. It's just a new lunar rover that um, Astrolabs have been working on. And I think the story is not so much, there's not a ton of interesting parts about it. Uh, the video itself is very interesting. 
and you have retired astronaut Chris Hadfield, and you've probably seen this guy before if you've seen any space videos. Um, he's, a, he's a pretty famous astronaut, uh, a, a physicist or an astrophysicist. Um, he was test driving it, and they were doing it in desert, and this is really like a versatile rover. And I thought, well, what can I share about this story? And an interesting part is that, like, why are we going to the moon, right? And and as I was analyzing it, sitting it and thinking about it, well, number one, if we do come to a point of a nuclear conflict, you do want to have a place where you can escape, at least for some time. So you do want to have bases there. That's one way, I guess, people are hoping to preserve humanity. If something happens catastrophic, catastrophic on the Earth, you have a place to escape to. The other part of it is that um, in this video, he explained that the size of the movement is about, if you like unfold it, about the size of Africa, which is a ton of untapped resources. So if there is a way of somehow for us to mine, I guess, the resources in the moon, who knows what we'll discover beneath the surface that maybe radars weren't able to detect, then there might be... Hopefully, hopefully not uranium. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, yeah, counter... <laughs> productive to what we're trying to accomplish but hey it's scheduled for 2025 uh i know it's been pushed uh, it was supposed to be 2024 but apparently you have what did they say like uh, man i want to say 50 or something companies outsourcing the program for the artemis mission and uh, i think elon musk said it well he said too many cooks in the kitchen but that's what happens when you have a bunch of people just building versus the previous i believe uh projects that were built by NASA would have like three to four contractors working on it. So, But anyways, so it's, it's interesting to see how these companies are stepping up to develop uh, solutions. Uh, this rover is going to be very versatile. You don't sit in it, you stand in it, but then it like folds into different configurations. And that is all for the lightning stories for today. Yeah, so I never got a chance to comment on what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. Just our schedule didn't really line up with it. And Maybe that's good. Uh, I've, I've had a couple of weeks to digest and mull over some of the events. Uh, I think if I had been at the recording just a few days after the invasion, uh, I might have mm -hmm. said some things that I regret. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it definitely made me feel some emotions that I had thought were done away with. Um, I, I've been watching, you know, with the rest of the world, how things are progressing. Um, this week we saw Mariupol come under siege, um, and obviously war crimes are mounting on the battlefield um, in different places. And I don't want to spend this time, you know, virtue signaling or whatever. You can get you can get plenty of that on social media and news outlets. You know, they they've kind of over the last couple of weeks they kind of turned it into some sort of elaborate soap opera where they're like, "Ooh, are they going to send aid? No, they're not going to send aid." And then like. You know, you have the speeches from the presidents and, and then people doing photo ops, like prominent Ukrainian celebrities or whatever. They're like, taking pictures with AK-47s and stuff. And uh, it's, yeah, well, you can find all that elsewhere, I guess. Um, I support Ukraine. And I think that, you know, this 30 years of sovereignty, um, you know, it saw so many people growing up and, and come of age in a free Ukraine. Um, you know, it's a time that's been the most prosperous and blessed opportunity that really any Slavic person could ask for, you know, whether you're um, out of people, I guess, living in Ukraine, Belarus, or Russia. Um, I'd love to see it continue to live peacefully uh, and, and experience this culture and language as it develops. Um, 
But as far as what's happening now, it's pretty cut and dry that, you know, Russian military is the aggressor. There are thousands of innocent victims on both sides. Uh, it's very bloody and destructive and very tragic. And I wish I never started and I want it to end as quickly as possible. Or better yet, to wake up and realize that it was all just a, a really bad dream. I'm not going to get into military strategy or analytics uh, or how it's an abysmal failure on Russia's side or talk about how what a hero Zelensky is or how I feel about the uh, delusional, narcissist, psychopath, man-child um, that I've criticized time and again. Um, there's nothing I could say there that hasn't been said in a million places. Were you talking about Biden or, or Putin when you said that? Uh, <laughs> I guess Biden might. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know which one it was. That's a shoe that Biden could put on and... and and fit well, but yeah, I was talking about Putin. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I want to look back and maybe cast a look forward. These two nations, Russia and Ukraine, um, I'm not a fortune teller and I don't want to give like a prognosis, um, but maybe I'd offer some wishful thinking and some things that I find, I find to be important. Um, so nationalism uh, is a very strong factor and it's a useful tool for government. Uh, in a way, it enables a lot of the actions of the government itself I'll focus more on Russia because it would be exhausting to try and include everyone that they oppress, but uh, a lot of this can apply to Ukraine. In the late 90s uh, through early 2000s, the number of people emigrating from this country was very high. Uh, we were among those from Ukraine, right? Mm -hmm. Although we weren't adults at the time. Um, this included a lot of people with academic degrees. And so this phenomenon is called brain drain. Um, because a lot of people, a lot of educated people are leaving the country. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a study from 2003 that I read uh, that polled students that were graduating from universities in Moscow, um, it, like asking them what their plans are for the future. And I think only 24% of all the of all those students say they wanted to live and work in Russia. So either they were leaving the country or they were going to still live in Russia, but like make money elsewhere. So looking at data from Russia... Emigration slowed down around 2008-2009, um, but then it shot way up um, after 2012. And this corresponds with Putin's third term as a president tyrant. Um, whenever we see brain drain happening, uh, it's important to look and see what's happening with the people that, not so much the people that are leaving, but the people that are staying behind. Uh, the population becomes much easier to control. Uh, nationalism rises and people... Uh, they're, they're very easily programmed to rally around the flag. I think this is key to understanding Russia, um, specifically like the European part of Russia, not like Yakutsk and Chechnya and, and other, um, other regions, mm -hmm. but specifically like that part of Russia and to some extent Ukraine. Um, the government and media do everything in their power to promote this. Um, if, you know, if there's no objective reason for people to stay in the country, uh, whether it's, you know, bad living standards, no opportunity for kids, uh, you know, decline in worldwide prestige, uh, and you have people, understandably, that want to leave. Um, so what do you do? You teach them that the place they're in, that in itself, it has inherent value, um, which is true, of course, but it's like, it's, it's much more inflated. So you teach them that foreign... Uh, equals corruption, and domestic equals moral and honest. Uh, if the end result is inflated national pride, that's great. Mm. Uh, if it's xenophobia and an inferiority complex, that's even better uh, from, the, from the eyes of uh, the propagandists. Fear is a powerful tool. If it leads you to invading a neighboring country because they develop quicker than you, well, that's just something you can expect when you're protecting domestic interests. 
if you're involved in a full-scale invasion and you have your citizens saying that you're the Mother Teresa of the world, your propaganda machine is second to none. That's one thing that really impressed me about Russia. The censorship is, is so effective that you can forget about freedom of thought. Even when a totally obvious double standard comes up, the leadership has total impunity. For example, when Putin goes up and gives an emotional story about the siege of Leningrad, his mother is a survivor, and he whips up some support for himself, saying that you know the 800,000 civilian casualties are all heroes, um, and also cancel everybody who even talks about you know posing the question like, what if they just surrendered? It would save 800,000 lives. Uh, those people don't have a right to speak. Uh, the people that eat it right up, they don't see the hypocrisy of this same person ordering people to be uh, locked in a movie theater and releasing poisonous gas. Or more directly, the siege of Mariupol happening right now. Or maybe they see, but they're not allowed to see. So this is, I guess, more uh, the actual current events. Uh, Russia's government has made it punishable by up to 15 years in prison to report any events where you use the words war, invasion, attack, if you use them in place of the much preferred term, special military operation. So it's illegal to spread misinformation about the war. By that logic, Putin should be looking at 15 years in Russian prison. Uh, but that would also be dangerous in misinformation. I watched everyone who works for Dorz TV. Um, it's like an independent Russian channel. Um, I watched them all say their goodbyes as they, they went to their work. Um, out of the public eye. They deleted everything off their YouTube um, and obviously not airing in, in anywhere in Russia. Many other journalists are retreating or leaving the country. Oh, did I mention the death penalties coming back? So this is all happening really suddenly and, and very quickly. Where do you see it going? In part, I think I feel relieved that I don't have to comment on this, you know, because we're ending our season and uh, I don't have to comment week after week. I just can kind of watch it develop. Because I think the answer to this question where I see, I have no idea where this is going. And I mean it like from, I mean, I could probably read, read up on a bunch of stuff and, and, you know, sort of assumed what it could be at this point, how it's developing and what the news, I mean, you look at every week, what the news agencies put out there, whether it's from Europe or from here, from West or even Russia. And all of those headlines pretty much are old within a day. And by old, I mean, they never came about. It didn't happen. Ukraine surprised everybody or Russia surprised everybody. I don't know where it's going. What I see happening, though, is, is um, I'm, I'm looking way into the future. And I guess I'm, I'm looking to the time when, when the cities are going to be rebuilt. Uh, that's going to be a gigantic, colossal effort to just, I don't know, re restart everything afresh. And hopefully not lose the identity of the cities and of the country as it is right now. Um, from what it looks like at this point, it doesn't seem like there is a way for Russia to overtake Ukraine in a way that they expected it in the first place. At this point, there's been way too much time that has elapsed from uh, the beginning of the operation. Ukraine had all this time right now to unite around its purpose, its goal, and that is we will not surrender. We will fight for every single, they say, every kloptik is, is the Ukrainian word meaning like every piece of a, of a fabric. Like every piece of land is going to be fought for. So at this point, you have a nation that you already bombed their cities. You already killed their children. Uh, you frightened their women, their wives, their mothers out of the country. Whoever is invading is going to pay for it 
if not by, uh, you know, the opposition, by this army fighting each other, then when Russia, let's say, fully takes over Ukraine, there will be partisans, there will be uh, people who will be in the hiding, who will sabotage this thing to the very last, last uh, drop of blood from the other side until, until again, every, every, everybody who invaded will, will pay for it. And so seeing it end in Russia's favor, in Russia's favor is, is almost impossible, unless that's what they hoped for. This is where I don't have enough insight as a com- you know, commentator uh, to be like, is this what Russia planned? You know, is this like a double, I don't know, what, what do you call that like word? Reverse psychology. Yeah, of some sort. Like we, we expected this all along. Like we actually wanted to boost our economy by inviting a bunch of sanctions while getting Ukraine destroyed. I don't know. But whatever it is, Ukraine will not give up. And the fact that the, what baffles me is the attention that the world gave to Ukraine. Um, it's just next level, don't you think? Almost like suspicious as to why all of a sudden every single... Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I like It's so weird to me because I the like preconceived notion you have mm-hmm. about uh, liberals and conservatives here in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, and seeing the reaction from those two sides, you're almost like... Wait a minute. Is there <laughs> something else? Is there a next layer? Yeah, and and I find myself like going on CNN, looking at news, and it's like, wait, I was I was just talking about how like nobody should you know <laughs> read these. Um, it's it's interesting seeing the different reactions, and then even the people that are uh, that are coming out in Moscow and and Saint Petersburg and, and protesting. You know, it's kind of like the the Kool Aid blue hair and and like uh, mm-hmm. like. Those are the liberals in Russia, you know. Yep. Um, so it's it's such a strange um, moment of I don't know. Cognitive that's why dissonance. I want to separate. That's why I want to separate the war and atrocities from the reasons and the strategies and the thinking behind and what motives people have because I can't I can't see a way to talk about both. You know, like war and atrocities. That's something that's happening. The reasons behind them is what remains hidden. And I, I just can't trust what's going on. All we can do is focus on the, okay, what is the problem today and how can people help? So I don't know where it's going. Um, other than one day everything will be gone. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. As uh, in on this earth and, you know, that's the right. eternity perspective. Yeah, it's interesting because when you want someone to sympathize and when you want someone to take the side of like, hey, there's a humanitarian crisis, um, it feels really good to see it and that mm-hmm. Ukraine is being supported and, and all that stuff. But it, it's opened my eyes to how much we uh, brush off like stuff happening like in Yemen or even in Syria. Like Syria's mm-hmm. 1% of what it, what it was 10 years ago, you know. It, it's making me realize a lot of things um, that I guess never paid attention to because it didn't personally affect me. Yeah, and I don't know if I mentioned it last time or not, but uh, just thinking of what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan and what Russia did, it just, yeah, it wasn't as personal uh, when it was happening to people of other nationalities. And that's the sad yeah. part. That's why I found like, the hypocrisy within you'd myself. You'd rather I'm comment like, wow. on like on like military operations or like, oh, like that wasn't a smart yeah. move or something uh, versus now where, you know, you see people focusing on that. You're like, it's not a, it's not a blockbuster film. Like, yeah. like there's people, if you're going to go help out, like go do humanitarian aid, you know, there's people yeah. that are volunteering to go and fight. But at the end of the day, like you care more about the, the government or about the people, you know. And it's not to say that when um, when United States I- invaded these countries to help them, that there wasn't an internal struggle that was not making life any better to begin with, right? 
obviously something prompts uh, another country to get involved. You know, we don't see ourselves, I don't know, invading Sweden right now for no reason, you know, just because they're having a bad life there. You know, we, we, it would be hard to make up a story and invade them. Um, so usually it's countries that already show some kind of internal turmoil. But still, whether you're an aggressor or a dictator in your country, uh, the motives, the reasons as to why people uh, choose to escalate conflicts are just remain hidden from, from us. And even history is not always uh, giving us clear answers, um, even centuries later. Yeah, it's well, history is written by the victors. I guess we can circle back to Russia. Uh, in my mind, there's two ways forward. Uh, no matter how, how this war ends, uh, they'll either become North, North Korea or there's going to be a mutiny, a revolution, uh, and they will follow the way that Ukraine has been leading the past 30 years. Um, you know, that doesn't secure the future, obviously, because that changes now how China treats them. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the logical progression that I see. You know, my point in all of this is that as ordinary people, we create the circumstances we live in, uh, whether it's through our voices or through our silence. And, and this is not just in Russia, it's anywhere. And with this in mind, you know, we mustn't forget that as believers, as Christians, we have a living hope. Uh, if you're a child of God, you are part of a heavenly kingdom and the life we want to live here, uh, it should not be built around any idol or any party or any person. Uh, there's no true hope uh, in anything else. The one who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever rolls a stone, it will come back on him. Well, that's all for the stories for this week. We're glad you've joined us for this last episode of Life Ring for this season. Please consider following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. Just type in Life Ring Podcast. And as always, we would like to remind you that there are no better news on any given day than the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for the sins of the world so that everyone who comes to him would be saved. So we encourage you to seek him if you haven't already. Thank you so much for subscribing and listening to Life Ring, and we'll see you next season. Maybe. Maybe.